0: Hello and welcome to episode 120 of Cybersecurity Interviews. This is another episode in my Rising Stars series, and we're speaking with Simone wright Hammer. Simone works at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory as a cybersecurity researcher while pursuing a PhD in computer engineering at Iowa State University. She has spent the last decade of her life interning at a variety of organizations. She has 10 internships in more than six different organizations, including public and private industries, ranging from Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft to successful startups such as Smart AG, state government, and national laboratories. Simone has spent the last five years of her career working in the cybersecurity field. While completing research, she has helped protect the infrastructure for the state of Iowa and ensured that startup companies are developing software with security in mind. In this episode, we discuss getting started in information security due to responding to an incident, an early upbringing which prepared her for cybersecurity, bridging theory to engineering, teaming with dev and security teams, the importance of project updates, increasing diversity in the industry, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Simone, thank you for joining me in Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? How are you? Doing great, doing great. It's uh, it's actually a mountain boulder right now, so it's one of those days where we were – half prepared for snow and half prepared for 80 degrees weather. So we, uh, we as, as, as with cybersecurity, you have to kind of adapt and overcome to the weather much. Uh, whereabouts are you located? I
1: am located in the Tri-Cities, Washington, so the Richland-Kinwick-Pasco area.
0: Oh, very nice. Very nice. So for the listeners that might not know too much about you, how did you get started in cybersecurity?
1: Um, I actually fell in cybersecurity. My background is in software development. I was working for a company and they had a breach that um, cost them a lot of money. And that was the first time that I considered cybersecurity uh, my problem. Up until that point, it was someone else's job. And um, I was lucky that it wasn't my code, but it was so close that I took a step back and said, you know what, I think I need to start thinking um, how the code I'm developing uh, could actually be causing problems. Um, and so I decided that uh, I needed to learn more about cyber.
0: Interesting. So was there anything particular, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot, sometimes when people get their first uh, incident or breach or things like that, that happen, they usually go run away from the fire. <laughs> uh, but it seems like you kind of leaned into it. Was there something about that that moment of it or looking at it in that perspective that says, hey, geez, you know, this is something I actually want to get more involved with.
1: Um, I actually contribute that to my upbringing. So um, I actually come from a low income background. And so being in that type of environment, um, you learn to think critically and use your resources to get what you need. Um, And and just coming from that background, there's a general assumption that if you need help, you're probably going to have to make it happen for yourself. So that mindset and growing up in that environment carried over to my career naturally. Um, Even though I was no longer um, struggling to just basic survival, that process of thinking had been naturally ingrained in me. So when the security breach happened, I naturally thought, all right, what resources do I have to make sure this is never me?
0: Gotcha. Was there anything that that might have surprised you about it? You know, when you talk about application security and all these other things that, you know, I, I think a lot of folks have this this vision of incidents being these very overly technical things, but I was wondering if in in this case it was something that might have been more simple or things that you said, Hey, wow, look, here's some of the basics that could have been done in the lessons learned phase that you were surprised might not have been, been part of the whole process.
1: Um, I would say I, I made a, a, a rookie mistake of believing that, um, everybody wanted Security, <laughs> uh, and that it was, uh, you know, if I could mathematically show a company, here's a potential loss, um, that they they would just buy in and be like, here's all this money, go solve the world. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I did do, um, again, coming from my background, um, I I just have this natural inclination to manage risk. So when you're coming from a low-income background, every almost everything you do is a risk. It's a trade-off. Um, you don't have uh, the basic resources. So it may be that this month your lights got cut off or you're always having to balance the risk and decide what's going to be best for you in the moment. So that part of cybersecurity actually came natural to me.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I often tell folks, you know, it's the constraints build innovations at times. You know, it's it's kind of learning to fight with one hand behind your back. You, you come, become very adept at it in a certain way because um, it's almost the opposite I've seen with, with, with folks where they have only, almost too many resources and then it's like analysis paralysis. Sometimes the constraints can help guide you. Yes. So in your education, what were some of the things, you know, and again, we were talking just to record, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time, and in, when I started the industry in the 90s, there wasn't things like, uh, you know, there's was, there was very basic kind of computer stuff. There was a heavy focus on mainframes and things that, quite frankly, were really not the focus of, of most computer science or education degrees today. What were some things that drew you towards computer engineering and computer science?
1: Um. What drew me towards um, computer engineering versus computer science um, was the fact that computer science is very heavily based on theory and there wasn't very much application. Mm. Um, So the reason I stray away from that is it leaves people to believe that just because you understand how computers work, you can do everything. Um, And I know (laughs) based on my, my upbringing that just because you were taught something in the class doesn't mean it transfers over directly to real life. Um, again, that goes from that low income background, trying to apply the things I learned immediately in school from how to count, um, knowing that one plus one equals two. Okay, how does that transfer to my life right now? I know I have $2, I know this, you know, um, I may know that the mac and cheese costs 250. Now I gotta weigh some options there. So that low income background has always played into my career. Having to take the skills that I'm learning today in the classroom and turn around less than 20 minutes later and do it in real life has um, propelled my career. I took that to my undergrad. So um, the computer science focused on a theory, but the computer engineering is where you're bridging the gap between the theory and the application. So now I can push the frontier of science um, from an application standpoint, which in my mind, cybersecurity is an applied field.
0: Definitely. Are you starting to see, too, more of the integration, you know, as we talk about some of this, with that mindset of, you know, really kind of pushing more of the cybersecurity, you know, as we say, kind of an application security development is you know, pushing left or putting it more into the process. Is there more openness that you're seeing now for folks willing to really kind of put either security people at the table, have the discussions, look at it from a process flow as opposed to, hey, we're going to deal with this after the fact?
1: Um, it's very hard to get people to buy into that idea. Um, I've definitely been pushing that, but getting them to buy into the process flow um, heeds the assumption that they had a process to begin with. <laughs> yes.
0: I often uh, ask folks, hey, what's, what's, your, definitely, if you want to look at AppSec, what, what, what's your process documentation? I'll take a look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so um, that I found a lot of organizations, and I've, I've definitely eased a lot of that pain in various organizations, but um, <laughs> if they don't have that, then, okay, we need to take a few steps back. Um,
0: but it's it's funny. I mean, it's sad at the same time. It, it's, I feel like there's a lot of fundamentals of when you look at engineering, um, particularly around uh application development, that some of these things, some of these problems have just translated from one platform to the other. So when we were looking at things in very, you know, pre-agile, very waterfall client-server applications, a lot of these things were still there. And now we're seeing it, you know, when I look at everything from containerized applications, I'm like, wow, we're still doing a lot of things that the process is not well-defined, and the process doesn't have security gating controls.
1: Um, So I would argue that... uh... Again, I come from a software background. Yeah. So when I came into cyber, I'm off. I'm like, where's the process? How do you fit into my picture? So in my mind, um, there needs to be a, an agile development process that incorporates security earlier. And um, we've seen these issues with the cloud where we had software developers who were fairly new and companies would go to them and say, hey, I want you to put everything in the cloud. However, the people who would make those decisions um, didn't necessarily understand the processes that happened in the background and the separation of duties. They didn't understand that there was um, or or they may not have been cognitive it, it may not have been at the forefront of their mind that we have a separate team doing the networking, setting up the physical ethernet cables, putting, you know, the server in the server rack. We have a separate team that is doing the uh setting up of the software, installing the OS, installing the web server, giving it external access. We have a separate team doing security and we have a separate team doing the software development. So when they want to ask that young junior developer to put everything in the cloud, who has no background on security, networking, or how to set up a web server, they usually turn to the internet because there's kind of a bit of shame there that they don't know. Right. They go to Stack Overflow and then they do what Stack Overflow says, which again, may have ignored all of the controls. Now you just put all of your stuff public facing and boom, there's a breach. So software development needs to incorporate these other duties because we're not, they're not separated anymore. Those, Methodologies that we had in the past worked because there was separation. Now we need something that exists that incorporates everybody because there is no separation.
0: Yeah, often we try to say, and well, we've been saying for for some time now. You know, security really is a team sport. You know, everybody has to have their their kind of saying it. But um, you know, for me, I, I'm I'm a probably horrible application developer as far as, you know, hands-on keyboard coding, but I understand the process flow and, and security part of it. Um, but I could definitely see where, you know, I've been a little bit uh, felt maybe outside of my comfort zone when talking to developers who might be the smartest person in the room when it comes to that area. Um, and I, I feel there's, there's always this um, kind of this river to cross between the two of us you know when i'm talking to application people about security because they look at it as very much well i don't really understand what you do and i'm like well, i don't understand what you do is are there ways that you've that you've helped kind of bridge that divide so people say oh okay maybe there's a commonality in what we're, we're kind of uh moving towards
1: i have helped bridge that divide by being on both teams So um, a a good example is um, I worked for uh, the state of Iowa during the election season, and they had to come up with these last minute uh, websites that displayed updated results every so often. There's pushback from security team, like, hey, nope, we didn't have enough time to go vet this. There's pushback from uh, from the software development team, like, I don't really have enough time to deal with all your controls. So by sitting in the middle, Where I'm sitting down with the coder going through. I'm like, okay, I see how you architected that. Can you put this, 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 and this right there? Can you extract this part out, make it an interface, and then use this interface for everything you do that does this? Then go back to the security team and say, okay, cool. I saw and made sure they had these, these, and these controls. Did you like anything else? So by sitting with both parties in separate meetings, I kind of decreased that, uh, that back and forth time to development to launch because we just didn't have it. Um, and the CISO at the time, uh, Jeff Franklin, was very uh, receptive to this and understanding. And he was like, you know what? I have pressure to make this happen. I will give you reins to go, but you, you know, as long as you report back to me and let me keep me in the loop.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a really important observation and point that I've seen when when I've served in that capacity within security leadership is I think a lot of folks think, oh, you know, the CISO or 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 security leader is going to want to be really hands-on the weeds and and disrupt the process flow. And for me, it's like, no, I just want to know that the right things are being done and that there's visibility. And the big thing is like saying, hey, is there visibility? Are the right, you know, reasonable security controls in place?
1: Yes. But um, again... When this whole situation came about, I stepped forward and suggested this. Mm. It wasn't somebody come to me and say, "Hey, someone, can you do this?" Because it's not—it's not like they have my resume sitting in front of them and they're saying, "Oh, she has this background. She's in security. Why don't we just have her do this?" They usually don't. I had to identify that need for both parties and then fill that gap.
0: So it, it, it sounds like at least, if not a, a huge degree of self-advocacy for that. To hey, look, you know, really have to um assert yourself into that a little bit did you find that challenging with with folks in the room that might not be willing to just have an outside voice come in
1: um so this goes back to the, this this background of you know um having a low income background there's you have to learn to advocate for yourself to get your resources so naturally i grew up in an environment where i always had to barter right um, so when we were in the room, we were presenting this, by the way, I was an intern. Um, I sat down with it. I'm like, Hey, uh, can I make a suggestion? Everybody's like, yeah, what is it? Um, cause at this point they had been arguing back and forth. I'm <laughs> right. like, you know what? I have a software development background. Here are the companies I worked for. I want to remind you of that. I'm on the security team. How about... We we do a trial where you create the first website, and I sit down and work with you and the software development team to understand your processes and make sure that we can add enough checks in to uh, you know make everybody feel comfortable and still meet our, our deadline. And they were like, you know, at first Jeff was like, okay, well, I'll think about it. And less than five minutes later, when we walked out the room, he goes, you know what? Um, I really need to meet this deadline. Uh, the governor's pushing it. Um, I'm going to give you some some room. I'm going to take you off these three projects and I want you to focus on that. I'm like, I got you. No problem. I literally took it upon myself to send him a weekly detailed um, update um, in an email. I knew he was busy. um, And then I just told him, hey, I'll send you an email every Friday by five o'clock detailing what I did for this week in the security controls we met.
0: To that, I commend you on that because it's, it's an interesting thing that I think it's lost. Um, and I'm curious to where you developed this, but the communication skills of keeping people up to date. Because, again, for me, when I've delegated certain things, it's like, again, I want to know if, uh, immediately if there's a problem um, and if there's some solutions. Other than that, yeah, like a weekly check-in would be great. What, Where did that come from, from in your mindset to develop that? Because I, I feel that's still a very lacking trait with, with a lot of folks in our industry.
1: Um, So there's two parts to this. One, my mom uh, worked in customer service for 20 years. And so she had this model that um, in order for your customer to be happy, they need to be in the solution loophole. and, And they need to be aware of what's happening. So if a customer calls right now and says, hey, my cell phone broke, even though you're working on getting them a new one, you do not go three weeks without contacting them. You need to send them an update periodically to let them know, hey, I haven't forgot about you. Here's where I'm at with that status um, and I will keep you posted. I'm trying to push for this deadline. But do not make it sound like you're guaranteed to hit that deadline. Let them know that you're pushing for that deadline but there's no guarantee you'll meet that deadline. That's all people want. They want to know that they're heard, they're seen and you're keeping them updated on the progress. So that and being the oldest of my siblings, I always had to check in with my mom when um, she had to go to work and i had to wash my siblings and so that became just a natural part of my environment is keeping the people who are in charge aware of what's going on the situations give them key details only and then move on
0: i always say you know the, the best thing you can do is tell me in in bullet points lots of white space i, I have to read something quickly <laughs> you know the, the executive summaries work great with that too, um, it sounds like you know you, you you find yourself in these these positions at least as I'm reading to of kind of doing that translating of, of concepts from one party to another from one team to another. Um, how do you how have you have you figured out how to do that at scale? Like, are there lessons from that you have to say, hey, if I had, a, if I had to write a course on this and really kind of teach but are are there the executive summary of how you can do that? Because that's, that's again, a where I feel so lacking in our industry at times. It's like, there's such a focus on the, the hands-on keyboard, but these types of things, of project management and communications is lost. How would, is there a way to even develop that so more folks can learn from it or other key takeaways?
1: Yeah, um, so I have bridged the gap between uh, the communication and customer service part that I learned from my mom and how to talk to people. You can, you can disagree and be respectful, um, but I also took the software development Kanban boards. So this is how I track what goes on in my life, As I actually have a Kanban board for different parts of my life, including my work projects. This I totally don't have
0: two whiteboards with that in front of me right now. <laughs>
1: Um, and then when I'm communicating with people, especially via email, short to the point. So I have like bold, um, short phrases that I'll put before, um, my subjects. For example, if this is just for information purposes only, I'll say in bold info, colon, whatever it's about, um, or action or requests or, uh, urgent, um, those the, let them know what they need to do with the information they're about to read.
0: And that's it's as simple as that, right? And it's I, I think people have this fear of like, well, I have to overcomplicate it. <laughs> like, no, please don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then let people be in the loop. So, for example, I have a project right now um, that I just submitted a proposal for. Um, there were two proposals that got merged, and what did I do? I sent an email out and uh, cc the other uh, co-pi to everybody saying hey here were the two names of the projects we are now merging into one to be this new name Um, here is our new focus Um, Monday five o'clock we will send you guys out a new draft of the proposal um, and then on Wednesday we will have a meeting it will be coming forward that's it
0: now as as you I guess what What does your day-to-day look like now? How much of it is actually doing different parts of this process flow, project management and workflow, as you start to take on more?
1: Um, To be honest, most of the software or most of the cybersecurity hands-on applied stuff is done with my home infrastructure. Um, So, again, I believe cybersecurity is an applied field. I do not believe that a cybersecurity quote unquote personnel or experts, we should ask our employer to invest in us because it's too much of a risk. So um, if you run a business, you got you got to do your risk management, right? And you it's unlikely that you can go to a job and say, hey, can I just set up PF Sense to see, you know, on your network if I can make it work or not? Um, the answer is probably gonna be no. That's the polite way to say that. Um, <laughs> but Again, since cybersecurity is an applied field that has a lot of risk associated with it, um, I tell anybody who wants to get in cyber, go buy your own stuff and do it at home. You don't have to ask anybody. If you bring it down, guess what? It's yours. That's
0: how Versus you learn to it. fix things.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> if you take it down and it's a business, that business loses money based off of your mistake. That's unlikely they're going to let you do that.
0: Yeah. And and really today I would have to say is I, I, I couldn't agree more and I, I really have my – Hey kids, get off my lawn. I'm an old man security because you know, back back in the day, you know, in the in the nineties and early two thousands, we didn't have a lot of virtualization. We had to go scrap big borrow, and steel, you know, bare metal, put it together, hopefully it would work. Um, and then when that thing went down, it was a lot of lot of operating system reinstalls. <laughs> you know, you, you just can't go back to a snapshot. Um yeah, so it's how- an
1: expensive mistake.
0: Yeah, it is. And and how do you how do you kind of coach people on saying that up now because it's it's again with so much of the technology that's out there now the, the accessibility to me seems uh, almost a no brainer.
1: But yet I still get young people trying to get into cyber and they get mad when they're saying like you know I asked my I asked my job if I could do this and they said no or I asked them to pay for the cert and they said no okay so I go back to them and I always ask when you went to college did you have a company paying for it or did you front that money. Oh well, I pay for it. Cool. You paid for your own knowledge. That will continue in life.
0: Yeah, you have to invest in yourself because again, it's right. one of those uh, <laughs> one of those things where nobody else really is, and I've, it's it's sad as it can be at times, but it's reality. You know, you really have to you have to advocate, fight, and invest for yourself.
1: Yeah, and and so I tell people sit you know set aside a little bit of money to invest in yourself, and set aside some time.
0: Yeah, it, it pays back, um, you know, as you think. So what what are some of the things that you're investing in yourself now?
1: So right now, um, we bought a house and there's a window that bothers me because I <laughs> you can't have immediate access to it without a ladder. So I've started to jump into um, IoT things like um, uh, programming blinds to open and close. Um Uh, Programming LED lights to light up the flooring as the sun goes down Um, and then segmenting off the network and studying some of the the traffic that's coming in from those devices. Am I seeing some spikes? Is something weird going on? Um, So there's a there's the software development piece where I am not buying these things ready. I'm piecing them together with a Raspberry Pi. Um, And then there's the security part where, okay, now I need to segment got my network. What kind of firewall rules do I wanna put in? Um, do I want it to be able to phone out? Do I want it to be, do I wanna be able to talk to it through um, other subnets? Um, so that's that's how I keep current on what's happening. It's just buying little devices and setting them up at home. And then from the the research side of things, um, how I keep current is uh, reading the technologies that are out there and going to conferences. I can't stress this enough. I don't really care how much the conference costs. If I think that it's going to be valuable and give me new insights, I'm going.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's. I think that's one of the things that I've, I've probably missed the most uh, in, in the past year with with the pandemic is. And, it, and this really was the impetus of the, this podcast was the sidebar conversations, seeing people on stage and then say, hey, I got a question for you. And then driving deeper into it over maybe lunch, a beer, or just just coffee, just sitting there talking to somebody about something that I hadn't even dawned on me. Um, I totally miss that these days. Yeah.
1: Um, and then the, the, the management side of things, um, I kind of fell into. Um, so my technical side, I'm a cybersecurity researcher at PNNL. Pacific Northwestern National Lab, I am not a project manager, Um, but I I kind of unofficially ended up orchestrating a lot of it just because they thought I was good at it. Um, So just because you don't have the technical title of like a project manager or maybe a sector lead or um, software developer doesn't mean you won't be doing those duties.
0: Yeah, I think often most most people in cyber that, that do well are often the ones that kind of raise their hand or, or just get something kind of put on their lap and you just have to say, okay, I'm going to have to dig into this. Yeah. Do you see yourself moving towards, you know, I always look at things in kind of very simple to s- simplistic buckets at ter- certain points of, you know, kind of doing some stuff that could be at the analyst to management level, management to leadership. Where do you see your career going, you know, in one, three, four, five years from now? Where would you you know want to be?
1: Um, Funny story, I just had this conversation with my manager. Um, I would like to stay bridging the gap between um, very technical um, senior level folks and management. Um, I seem to have a knack and a sweet spot for uh, communicating information to both sides. Um, Especially people who are not down in the weeds and they don't understand that uh, 5G has uh, seven deployment options. They just understand 5G. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Versus the techno folks are like, is it standalone or (laughs) (laughs) non-standalone? I love that because I get to interact with people, but not get overwhelmed by it. Um, So for me, that's where i would like to stay but maybe move up into doing that also for sponsors so kind of helping um, sector um, sector leads interface with sponsors and ask the questions to pull out the sponsor's technical needs because you got to be technical to be able to ask those questions the right way Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a tough thing. I think in our field is is again, it's like staying relevant enough, fresh enough to be able to have the conversations without getting almost pulled too far into the weeds. And I find that's quite frankly the biggest challenge I have in my day to day is I'll see these new things come out and I go, "Oh, I want to dig into the IOCs all day," but at the end of the day, it could be fifty people that say, "Hey, I just need the summary of it," and I am like, "Okay, I have to, I have to know enough, but I don't have to get too far in the weeds," and it it it's a challenge. Oh yeah. So at, uh, it's one of the things I've seen too. Um, you know, as I said, I've been I've been really trying to look at the podcast and, and have different discussions about different things. And did a series on, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion in our industry. I, I find that it's extremely lacking. Things about mental health, you know. Um, where where have you seen changes in this that might be positive? Because I think for me, it's like I almost feel like, gosh, we're not doing a good enough job, but there has to be some silver linings of things that are progressing, organizations that are working together, people that I might not even see that are forming alliances to promote better diversity in our industry so more voices and more diversity that I think helps the industry can come in.
1: One of the awesome things I'm seeing in solo is that uh, a lot of the conferences, that um, a lot of security conferences are now advertising that, hey, if you are a woman, you know, we, we really want you. Um, if you're a minority, we really want you. I don't care if you're connecting with somebody else who's already doing a talk, and you're going to split that talk now, um, but, but they're they're pushing that agenda, and they're making it clear. Um, companies are now reaching back into schools and saying, hey, um, we want to see more minority applicants, which then encourages the schools to go into minority communities to
0: recruit. Mm, yeah.
1: So it's a trickle-down effect. It takes a while to really start to see it gain some traction, but it's happening.
0: Right. Yeah, and no, and that, that's a good point. Um, are, are there... Maybe mentor programs that you see that could be doing well, um, because I feel that that you know, for me, it's always been, you know, personally rewarding as a mentor to help folks. Um, I just I love seeing people succeed. But you know, I also find that I, I might get stuck in my little bubbles. Are, you know, are there resources out there that if I was, you know, m- not in the traditional cis white able-bodied male, you know, that looks like ninety percent of my industry, <laughs> um, you know, that I can go out and try to find. Different, different people? Because to me, I think getting those different voices are so incredibly important.
1: Um, so I'm going to speak from my mm-hmm. uh, personal experience. goes back to my upbringing again about being resourceful. So part of living in a low-income community is when you're resourceful, you have to ask the right question. Mm. You can't just go to people and say, look, I'm hungry, I ain't getting food. That doesn't work. You, you have to, it has to be a win-win. So there were... I took that to my career. When I go to people and I need advice about something, I don't just say, hey, can you be my mentor? I tried that twice and it failed horribly. And then I was just like, okay, how do I do this when you know I'm in a different situation? So instead of just going and saying, can you be my mentor? I went with specific questions. I went and asked people um, specific questions about what are you looking for in a cybersecurity analyst level two? What's the difference between the level two and level one? And those questions were necessary for me to to figure out if I'm meeting the criteria if I want to go if I want to convert from an intern to a full time I need to know what this looks like so I can say, I am indeed a level three. Yeah, based on what you told me. I have done X, Y and Z. Right, I have to be able to advocate for myself, but I can't advocate for myself if I don't even know the rules.
0: That is that is such an important thing. and, and again, it's, it's why I like hearing <laughs> almost the confirmation bias of what I think about things, but also say, you know am I, am I seeing things in a tunnel? But it was the same advice I gave to a, a young gentleman who's worked with me for a number of years and he's he's still in a company And I, I'd hired him out of, out of college, but he was saying, you know, I don't know if I should be saying'm I'm, I'm at this level. I was like, well, did they tell you? yes. Uh, but it's not formal. was like, get it in writing. Put it, you know, advocate. Again, you know, put for yourself. Advocate. There, it, nobody's just going to do something for you. You have to go out and stake your claim.
1: Um, that is beyond true. But a lot of people don't understand that. So um, what I like to tell people is um, everything's a business. People hate that. They're like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have to figure out how that business works, where you fit in that business, and how to get to your final destination. When I pull up my phone or Google Maps and I need to go somewhere, Google can't tell me where to go if I don't tell them the final destination.
0: Right. It's like, take me somewhere or somewhere.
1: (laughs) Right. So when I put in that final destination, it then can give me multiple routes, and I get to choose. Your career is the same way. You need to be able to articulate to people where you want to be, before they can go advocate on your behalf behind closed doors, and get you there. So, what I think my network is Google. I just have to give them the final destination.
0: That is uh, that is such sage advice. Well, Simone, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where can folks find you online?
1: Yeah, if people want to reach out to me, you can go ahead and find me at uh, right at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Simone Wright Hamer. Um, I'm the only Wright Hamer, actually. So. <laughs> um, and that's Wright Hamer, um, W-R-I-G-H-T dash H-A-M-O-R.
0: Awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate the conversation today. It was, it was definitely insightful, and I'll be sure to put all that information in the show notes so people can, uh, can talk to you some more.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com, where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.